0: Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Olivera McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible.
1: Hi, and welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm your host, Sarah McDonald. We have a very special guest here today. We have Pastor Scott Graham. Say hi, Scott.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm great. We're glad to have you here. Um, we're keeping on with our theme about family and family restoration in addiction. Uh, we're going to talk about trusting God through trials today. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe to at from Beer to the Bible. First of all, we're going to come to you um, in the Lord's message today. We're coming from Corinthians thirteen four through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes and always preserves such a great message that was um something that a, lo- a lot of people use at their weddings. Mm. And I don't think people really truly understand what it means until they go through some sort of trial. Sure. And for both you and I, uh, we both have spouses in addiction and we both are in uh, recovery from addiction as well. And so uh, we have we have that meaning on lockdown, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, it wasn't until I had my husband go through recovery that I really understood what those words meant um, and what really the vows of marriage meant. You know, um, we're supposed to love each other through the trials. And when you're going through that trial, it's really, really hard to love each other during that. What's your experience with that? Or tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do and Mm -hmm. how uh, you're coming to us today.
2: Well, um, so. Irvin, is a pretty good buddy of mine and I meet with him regularly. And so uh, just uh, first, thanks for having me on. And uh, well, so I'm in recovery and my wife is in recovery as well. Hey, Tabby. And um, so it it wasn't always like that, though. We had met in in the middle of a drug deal. We weren't even supposed to meet each other. Uh And um, (laughs) yeah, it's one of those situations. And a few weeks later, after we were hanging out for a while, just doing what people do in that world, I just had a moment of clarity and I was like, man, we've got to get sober. Like, this, everything I'm touching is turning into really bad stuff really fast. And uh, something happened in that moment. It was like a moment of clarity for both of us, yeah. just like what it talks about in the recovery world, those moments of clarity. And we had one. And, and at that time, I just felt like the Lord was saying that I can go get sober now. It's so weird. But, yeah. uh, you know, he was so true, and uh, through all the trials and tribulations that we've been through, um, you know, we stand happily married at this point and fully restored. So, yeah,
1: that's awesome. So, were you married when you first got? I mean, whenever you first got sober, you were not married, no, correct? Ma'am.
2: No, ma'am. So, no. what did
1: that look like? How did that transpire? Tell us a little bit about that.
2: So, uh, just like I said, we're I was in the I was in the middle of a full blown relapse and just doing what people on drugs do and uh, committing crimes and just doing all the things, and uh, so. Um, we had decided that we would come to Dallas. So this was in the streets of Oklahoma City at the time. And we decided that uh, I knew a few people down here. Okay. And so we just, on a whim, we we left. And we came down here and we were staying in a hotel room on my mom's stolen credit card at the time. I mean, really, really wow. doing things I shouldn't have been doing and uh, uh, worthless at that point. But we went to uh, Gateway Church in 2015. Okay. I'd heard of several people going, and in, in the AA clique that I was hanging out with, and uh and we went, and we went to our South Lake campus. There was four thousand people in that auditorium, and I will never forget the sermon. The sermon was over Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Okay. And uh, there was a guest speaker, and it was God has not forgotten about you, and this man was preaching about how God has orchestrated every step in your entire life up to this very point right now. Yes. And at that, that was the first time I'd ever really fully felt the full forgiveness of the Lord. I felt his mercy and his grace and his love sitting right where we were, as ugly as life was at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an overwhelming encounter of the Holy Spirit. So, did you go to
1: treatment personally or did you get sober in the church?
2: Uh, well, so I went to prison. Okay. Um, so, tell us uh, what happened. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> at, at that time, we were not married. We were cohabitating and okay. living in sin, of course. And, uh, but things started to come together really fast. Um, I started going to church or going to AA, started tithing. We, we had this wonderful idea to start a business. And uh, after a few months of, of business and going to church and doing recovery, um, you know, I started gaining some weight back, started having some money in my pocket, and uh, we found uh, a man that would, would rent us a house. Um, and so we went from homeless to doing really well in a short amount of time and uh, the Lately, I've heard the word my talent was outgrown. I mean, my talent outgrew my character. And so at that time, the, the financial blessings we were living in, I didn't have the heart or the character to sustain that.
1: Got it. Yep.
2: So, um, you know, a few months, a couple of weeks shy of having a year of sobriety, you know, I had several, I had plenty of money in the bank. I hadn't touched a drug or a drink of alcohol this whole time. But I, I would just kill to get that fix again. I yeah. would kill, and I was lying and cheating and conning, stone cold sober, yep. without the God in my life that I had left a few months before that. And so, at the end of the day, um, my wife and I, after after uh, uh, you know, almost a full year of sobriety, living on pride, yep, got loaded again. Okay, and a six month relapse got me a three year uh, trip, to, uh, a three year sentence to uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, which is prison. Yep and um, how wonderful that was. So as soon as I hit the prison, these guys asked me if I wanted to go to a marriage seminar. Oh, you know, wow. and I'm still living in lies, and yeah. I'm like, oh, well, I'm married, I'll go. And um, as soon as I go to this uh, marriage seminar, I look on the screen and it's Gateway Church, and oh. I'm like, oh, that's my church. Wow. And uh, you know, I was in prison at that time, but I felt like I was at home, and I knew that the Lord was gonna restore me and heal me. So while I was incarcerated, I chased God. That's all I could do was just chase the Lord, and I'm, I'm having conversations with Tabby, and uh, we're still not married, but we're talking about walking in purity when I get out, and and all these things that we're going to do. And um, she was in treatment and got healed while I was gone. Okay. And um, just shy of a year of incarceration, I was released, and and here I am, still with Gateway Church, and God is good.
1: That is so incredible. Um, so, a little bit about Tabby. We've both have experienced um, each other's spouses going through um, recovery. What was that like you being in prison and not being able to kind of, like she was going through her own thing. How was that discussion? How did y'all talk about it? How did y'all talk about recovery? Did that give you a fire for um, wanting it more?
2: Absolutely, so when I was uh, in, in prison, believe it or not, I was more free in my relationship through God than yeah. I had ever been since the day I met her yeah so uh, there's uh, some some basic marriage and principles that are biblical about what a wife needs from her husband yes. one of those is security and me pursuing God um, I had no idea but one of the symptoms or some of the fruit that was born out of me just pursuing the Lord while I was incarcerated was it brought it brought security to her yeah to where she knew that um, she could tell in her heart of hearts that what I was saying wasn't just lip service, like it was for real.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was in recovery probably five, six years, um, and me and my husband were kind of growing apart because I was you know, going to 12-step, I was going to church, I was doing the deal, mm-hmm. um, my daily rhythm of living was Prayer, meditation—some of the things that he just had, he just didn't have yet. He'd see me do it. He sure. saw things changing in my life, um, but as I was growing, he was kind of getting mm. more in a rut. And so um, he—he was—he ended up, you know, using and drinking and doing the deal and. Um, kind of spiraling out of control and his depression and his anxiety got the best of him and I ended up putting him into treatment and I, I, I sent him to treatment for three months yeah. and it was the hardest three months of my entire life. I had a little girl at home. I had a full-time job. I was still doing my recovery. I was still doing my ministry with my recovery ministry. Um, and then I had a sick loved one, mm-hmm. you know, in treatment. And I couldn't control that. And so it wasn't until I, I fully, Gave it to God and got out of His way that He was able to take him and restore him fully. And like you said, I I relied on Scripture. You know, yeah. I I read every Scripture about marriage, every Scripture about forgiveness, and God changed my heart because at that time I was mad. Yeah. I was so angry because I'm like, really, God, I'm I'm right back here in mm-hmm. this in this pit again. Yeah. Um, and I laugh about it because uh, He put another recovery story into my life, you know? So here I am, uh, five, six years sober, my husband's going through it, I'm back at step one, going to a 12-step program, Um, Called Al-Anon for the spouses and I'm having to learn all this stuff all over again. And it really truly humbled me So for those of you out there who are struggling with a loved one um, We just this is this is for you. This message is for you. We want you to know that there are tools um, There are things that you can do. You're not alone. We've been there and um There's just a lot of of forgiveness and Mm -hmm. uh, just God has a lot of restoration that he can do through that. So through that, I just I wanted to tell you that, you know, He did. He gave me scripture. I posted it all over my house. I I hung on to every word and he started changing my heart. And I started to love my husband again, like our verse in our scripture said today. Um, I started to see him in a new light. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that is what God wants for marriage. That's what he wants is that full restoration and for us to be living in harmony together for other people to see what marriage is supposed to be like, those true trials and tribulations. So. Question: um, As head of the household, how do you lead during these trials?
2: Well, so um, in Ephesians 5, it says that I'm to love my my wife as Christ loves the church. So what does that really look like? Yeah. Um, I don't know anybody that's ever walked into a church that was never forgiven. Yeah. And so even when I was incarcerated, uh, my wife stayed with me. We talked on the phone. I mean, she we, she did all the things that in the in most perfect situation for any guy locked up could possibly ask for. And yeah. she's the best ever. But uh, I had to prepare myself though. You know, when she told me, when she knew that I was going to prison and she told me, I'm gonna wait here for you. Yeah, I had to put Ephesians five in my life that no matter what happens, because people are people and humans are humans and they just do what they do. Yep. No matter what happens, I have to forgive her. And uh, thank God I was never put in a position to really have to take that route with her. But um, as far as now with trials, uh, man, my wife and I are evenly yoked and we're unified. We're yeah. we're unified no matter what. And she she's in sobriety and she does the recovery thing. And she she's in church. She does the ministry thing. And so we we both work together and we're action takers. So. Um, when things when there's a somewhat of a disturbance between us and there's a trial coming up, we do warfare immediately. That's the first thing we do. We 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 blast the worship music, we get in the word, and we just start doing warfare praying. And um, you know, God is faithful.
1: I love that. Tell and, me more about what warfare prayer means.
2: Well, it's just uh, we take authority back in our home. Yeah. So uh, we our addictions have dragged our kids through a lot. Yeah. And our our all of our sons and daughters are restored. They've forgiven us and life is good. But that still doesn't mean that that junk doesn't try to crawl in. Yeah. Um, and so, number one, my wife and I have got to be unified. And if we're not unified, we have got no business taking whatever matter or whatever solution it is to our family down the line. Yeah. We've, got to be, we've got to be one. So uh, that's the first thing.
1: So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Do you, you and your wife do things um, separately or together? Basically, on this show, we talk about a rhythm of living that we do on a daily basis to prepare us for the day. Um, what do you do separately and then together to do that?
2: So uh, my responsibility at the house is to get the coffee ready. And, <laughs> and thank God for uh, programmed coffee machines. Yeah. So we, we have that set, and uh, at 6 o'clock, the alarms start going off. And uh, I'll typically I will wake up, go bring your coffee, then I'll go to my own meditation area and she'll go to her own. And so we go, in, we go plug into the Lord first yeah. before we look at finances, before we look at calendars, we plug in. And yeah. sometimes it can be just as simple as reading the verse of the day on the Bible app. Yep. Then there's other times where it's a deep dive, just whatever that day brings. But that's the first thing we do, we'll plug into the Lord. Oh,
1: I love that. I love hearing that. And so tell us a little bit about what you do now. Um, you're the prison minister over at Gateway Church. What mm-hmm. does that look like? And how do you and your wife help other people in that ministry?
2: So one of the burdens that I felt when I got out of prison was uh, there's, there's a, a critical period for six months. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't gone very long at all, but I was still gone long enough to lose everything. And so there's a, there's a six-month period from the time that I got out to the time that I really felt decompressed. And so that that's really the heart of what we're doing. So I, I'm over at Gateway Dallas, and um, the Dallas campus has got more transitional centers for parolees than any. I, I I can't I don't know the true numbers, but we get a lot of guys and girls that show up at our campus. Uh, so Gateway is really visible in in all the prisons. So every prison in Texas gets all of our weekend services, and so oh, wow. the chaplains can play our weekend services and worship. So uh, when people get out of prison, they think, "Man, I'm going to go to Gateway." Yeah. And so what we have, um, what the Lord has built through us is just a network of people that have been there, done that. Yeah. So it's just sponsorship or it's discipleship. We just come alongside each other. And um, I usually get the guys and any ladies show up, they go to my wife or somebody on her team. And uh, what we've got is a, a, just a group. Kind of like in AA meetings, there's just a, a group of old timers that are ready to absorb the new guys. What's yeah. the same dynamic at, at the Gateway Dallas campus? That's awesome. Yes, How man. long have you been doing that? Uh, almost three years. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: Um, what are the keys, you think, to trusting God through the trials that you have had during addiction?
2: Well, I've got to be rooted in the truth. Yeah. It's just got to be rooted in the truth. And the truth is, is that no weapon formed against me will prosper. And there's times even in my walk now where I have to pinch myself like, Lord, let this be the one time because I've been a chronic relapse all my life. Yeah, um, I have every time things would be going well, I would find it uh, opportune to have a drink and then the drink turns into a drug. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the vicious cycle kicks in. So I've got to be rooted in the truth. And the truth is that when it comes to drugs and alcohol, I'm powerless. Yep. When it comes to thinking about drinking, I'm powerless. Yeah. And, and I have a mind that you know, where in the first step of AA, where it talks about our, our lives have become unmanageable, it's the mental twist is what it's talking about, how I believe my own lies. And yeah. so I've got to be on guard about the truth.
1: Yeah. It's the enemy. Yes. Talk about the importance of spousal support during addictions and in, in some of the bad times.
2: Well, so um, I have a tendency to want to microwave people, whether it's somebody I'm sponsoring or somebody I'm discipling, or even my own children or my wife. Um, if, if I've excelled or if I'm further down the path in one area, I will want to just micromanage somebody else's
1: life. Oh, that's so me. Yes. That is so me.
2: And it's been such a, a blessing to just sit back and let everybody just be in their lane. Yeah. Um, I mean, we still have business to do. We still have family business and home life to, to operate in, but... Uh, when it comes to my wife and whatever she's going through, uh, sometimes I'm in the ditch with her yeah, because that's what's appropriate. But then there's other times I'm trying to pull her out. yeah, And then there's other times where she's pulling me out or she gets in the ditch with me. Sometimes all I need is my wife to just be my cheerleader. Yeah. Sometimes I just Ooh. need to be heard.
1: Yeah. That, that is exactly what I needed to hear. Cause sometimes my husband and I are on the same page and yeah. sometimes I'm up here and mm-hmm. sometimes I'm down here and sometimes he needs me to be his cheerleader. And sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I want to be like, telling him what to do and how to do it and micromanaging. And again, that's me getting in God's way. Mm -hmm. And God has a plan for his life, just like he has a plan for my life. And he has a plan for our marriage together. Um, And so I have found that just the gift of prayer and praying for that person and praying for what you want upon that person, um, to continually do that changes my heart and then it changes that person. That's where I see the miracles happen. Mm -hmm. It's not when I'm sitting there, oh, he's doing this or he's doing that or he's not doing this right or he's not doing that Mm -hmm. right. And that's what a lot of us do. you know. When we have a loved one still out there um, using and drinking, we wanna tell them what to do. We wanna throw away all their alcohol. We wanna hide. the things that they're using, and that's not going to get them sober. We cannot do that for them. We have to lead them to the path of Christ, and Christ is going to do it for them. And so that's what that's what we talk about on this show. We talk about the ways that you can help your loved one. Um, we share our stories so that you know that you're not alone, and we talk about the importance of prayer and prayer as a family. So, what does that look like in your life with your family?
2: So, I mean, it's it's a fundamental core thing that we we do um, in. Based on what everything you were talking about, I'm reminded of the third step in the Big Book of AA, where I'm the actor trying to run the whole show. Exactly. Yep, yep. So I first of all check that box in my life as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's all it's. I mean, we've got to plug into what the solution is. Yeah. In A, we talk about we plug into the program. And in in the body of Christ, we talk about plugging in the power of the Lord. It's all the same thing. There's just this imaginary dividing wall between the two. And it's really the same stuff, if you ask me. But um, yeah, so what we do is we pray. We pray it out. Anytime that our kids get blessed, anytime our kids are going through something, we pray with them. Lord, what, what do you have for us? What is the intuitive thought or decision you want us to make in this regard?
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, 12-step recovery and the church. Because a lot of people either do one or the other. It's hard to put the two together. Uh, My passion is to really um, bridge the gap between the two areas. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of people in 12-step recovery who have come to the Lord through 12-step. I have a lot of people that have come to the church and then gone into 12-step recovery um, because of somebody like me who kind of does a little bit of both and understands both and can kind of marriage those two together. Um, When I first got sober, it was really hard for me to go into 12-step because I couldn't talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's there as a safety net for 12-step recovery people who are not there yet. There is a place, um, I think, you know, God puts us where we need to be and we get there when we're supposed to get there. But not everybody is ready to hear God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all mm-hmm. of that. That scares people away, especially drug addicts and alcoholics early in recovery, because they don't, they don't know the Lord, or maybe they've never known the Lord, or maybe they just feel so much shame and guilt mm-hmm. that they don't feel worthy of the Lord. What is your experience with that?
2: Well, so the 12 steps are designed to block off to first of all, to get real about the situation that I'm in, because when we try to get sober and we're, we're really operating in the powerlessness of what our addiction has done, um, you know, we're in the middle of believing lies, yeah. and we're in the middle. Of, it's not as bad as it as it used to be. You know, I was uh, waking up in Walmart parking lots with my kids, thinking that it wasn't all that bad, you know, because I still had a car. So what kind of craziness is that, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so, and you know, in, in the twelve step recovery programs, it talks about. Um, in the in the books, it'll say you know the sunlight of the spirit and things like that, which is the, referring to the Holy Spirit.
1: Absolutely, it's
2: one hundred percent referring to that. Absolutely, but I do believe that twelve um, step recovery programs are kind of watered down because when we show up, we're broken. Yeah, we are totally broken. We're full of guilt, shame, or remorse. Yep, uh, we're embarrassed by the things that we do when we're intoxicated, and uh, the last thing we want to do is talk about Jesus. And yeah. and I can understand that too. Yeah, so but uh, the program and the, the steps are designed to take a, to take away what everything that's blocking us off from seeing God. Mm-hmm. And once we get through that we start cleaning up our messes and we start giving it away to others. We see this quote unquote altruistic movement happening and when we see the light bulb come in, come al- come on al- that ah, tongue tied. When we see the light bulb come alive in others I mean that that's um, that's the gospel.
1: Yeah, that's truly what happened to me. Um, I went in and out of 12-step recovery for two years before I went to treatment. And I went in and out of church for a couple Mm -hmm. years before I went to treatment. And I could not grasp that simple way of living because I was blocked off. Because Mm -hmm. I felt so much guilt and shame that I didn't feel like like he was going to save me. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel good enough for Christ. I felt I was just captive. I mean... The devil just had me, you know, he yeah. just had me. And so um, what happened to me in, in treatment was I found Jesus Christ again and I found the big book and I put the two together, the Bible and the big book and all the light bulbs started coming, coming on. Like it was just like it was just like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders and it was that simple way of living. Those steps are designed for simple ways of living mm. on a day-to-day basis. I couldn't even get through 1 hour without having a drink, yeah. much less 1 day, until I started, you know, living those steps and until I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. Yeah. And you know, we take out the word alcohol every aspect of our life is unmanageable when we're in the way when we're in god's way and so i love the the simple steps to get us through there and through that i experienced the lord again i experienced the holy spirit i experienced jesus in a way that i hadn't in so many years and it was truly like the mustard seed growing and i just wanted more and more and more of him what was your experience with
2: that i did ditto (laughs) <laughs> you know uh, it says in that book that we were rocketed into a fourth dimension uh, dimension, dimension. Uh-huh. of existence and uh, there's nothing better than being comfortable in my own skin yeah there's nothing better than when i go home and i and i lay lay in bed tonight my wife and i will be on our phones sitting right next to each other be present with one another but we'll just be watching stupid videos right yeah. just stupid stuff and as soon as we turn that light out i put my phone down you know what happens? What? I go straight to sleep. Oh yeah, I'm not worried about anything, and that's that's the kind of peace that we look for in a drink or in a drug as well. Yeah, to just I just want to be comfortable in my own skin. I want the I want whatever's going on up here to just stop for just a minute. Yeah. So.
1: So how do you tell people in twelve step recovery about Jesus and vice versa? How do you tell people in the church about twelve step recovery? Do you do that in your ministry? Do you share? You know how you got? How does that work?
2: Well, and so uh, a part of the parole conditions for probably ninety percent of guys and girls leaving prisons is there's always a recovery thing. They've got to go to so many meetings and things like that. So, um, so the recovery aspect is always an important part of somebody's uh, reentry process. But it all goes together. And so in uh, in recovery in in the twelve step world, it, that one of the things is it talks about we live by attraction rather than promotion. Yep. So I would rather somebody to be around me, and just sense that there's something different than for me to just promote it and promote it and promote it. You know, we're people of alcoholic and, and drug addiction in the past. They're always campaigning, always manipulating, always pushing some agenda. So I just want my life to be a representation of what that looks like to walk with the Lord. Yeah. And typically, once we get through the once we get through step three, and step two, um, it talks about how. You know, in the book, he helps. Somebody told him to write his own description of what God is. You know, what do you want God to be? And so, if somebody's really focused on step one and absolute powerlessness, they realize they're done. We cannot possibly do this on our own. It is absolutely impossible. We need something outside of ourselves to restore us to sanity. Right. So, nine hundred times out of a thousand, it's always I want God to be understanding. I want Him to forgive me. So, what people are writing down when when they say, "What do you want your God to be?" it's the true God anyway, Yeah, and He's speaking through that. And typically when we do a fifth step and we get honest about all the things that are embarrassing, that's when I can really present the gospel. It's like, hey, so this is what I did, this is what I went through, and this is private information. You don't have to trust me with anything, I'm trusting you with the things that I did. And so that confession, like what we were talking about earlier, um, brings about a trust to the surface that uh, makes somebody that I'm sharing this with feel comfortable sharing me all of their junk. And then at that point, it's like, well, God forgives all that. Yeah. That stuff, that's not who you are. What you are is you are chosen to be in this position right here, right now, to go through this process, not because you're cool, but because God's cool and God wants you to give this to other guys.
1: Yeah. yeah. So give us a step by step for any of the listeners out there who maybe has a loved one incarcerated or a loved one coming out of incarceration. How do they get a hold of you? How do they what are the next steps that they take to get um, into your ministry?
2: Oh sure. So, uh, Gateway has a really big prison ministry, and so all of our campuses have got an outreach pastor or have got a prison pastor already aligned to be able to to walk with whoever walks through the door. And it, and that that responsibility may not fall on the pastor's shoulders, but somebody on their team. Okay. But yeah, all they've got to do is show up to a Gateway campus and just start asking. And and uh, if somebody were to show up at the Dallas campus. Uh, I promise you, they'll say, "Oh, Scott's over there, or there's Tabby's over there, or this guy's over." You know what I mean? So, we're... do you
1: guys have like a mentor that walks with them and you know talks to them every day and that kind of thing?
2: So the first uh, the process that uh, that got us put together is more somebody walks in and I'm. I mean, we've got a pretty good radar for when it comes to felons. I yeah. mean, there's just something about the way we walk. It's just kind of like a, we the tattoos.
1: Can... The... Well, yeah, <laughs> but
2: not not everybody that's been to prison gets tattooed. But um, you know uh, just like we, it takes a drunk to know a drunk. Yeah. Right. So um, but we're pretty good at identifying one another. And the deal is, is that uh, as far as the Heart of Gateway, we have a place for you. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what life looks like. If there's, I'll even go this far. If somebody walks into the Dallas campus and they have a physical need that needs to be met. We're pretty good. And you typically, most of the time, would know the right ministry partner is to plug that individual in with. So if somebody walks in and they're homeless and they're really ready to change their lives, we've got a ministry partner for that. If somebody walks in and they need dental, We've yeah. got a ministry partner for that. Now, there's a process in a vetting. They've got to go through a vetting process, but if somebody has a physical need, we typically have are pretty good at taking care of that. Not gateway as a church, but we, we know how to direct traffic to the right ministries. Yeah,
1: and that's a big deal because so many people just are just full of shame and they don't want to admit those things and they don't want to get help for those things because, you know, there's just something blocking them off from that, and so I love what you're doing out there. Is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners about family and addiction, about trials and tribulations, about your story? Just that hang can in there. Benefit just them. Hang in
2: there. So uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. All right. And there's a whole host of us that have been through that.
0: Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.